0: You're listening to Over the Top Cycling, Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. And from the state of Minnesota, we have Balvindar Singh, who has just wrapped up the 2016 Trans-Iowa race. How are you feeling? Pretty
1: tired, um, but quite happy to have finished it.
0: It's been way too long since we last spoke, so it's great to uh, be chatting with you again.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: Trans-Iowa. Why? That thing sounds brutal.
1: Yes. I think why is it, I mean, why can be applied to the, the whole gamut of you know, cycling and ultra cycling in particular. Um, but why is because it's there and it's something to do. And I think it's a very unique challenge um, and something that isn't a very new discipline to me. The whole off-road gravel Uh, seen since moving to the Midwest from Southern California. So, you know, it presents something very new, very foreign, um, and a totally, totally new and huge challenge. And so um, a chance to see if I can reach this new limit and push myself in a way that I've never pushed myself before. So pretty much it.
0: This would be a podcast in itself, but... Moving from Southern California to Minnesota—that's a big change.
1: Yeah, we we kind of touched on it touched on it last year in the um, in the Alexander recap, but yeah, it's kind of a change. It's definitely been a hugely positive one. Obviously, California is home to family and many wonderful people and memories, but professional move, academic move to Minnesota. Figuring out how to how to become a rider out here and sort of switch it up and you know off road gravel is something that we do better probably than any other area in the country um, different than other areas but I I would argue better um, in certain ways for sure and yeah it's it's great and so it's you know made me really excited to find a different type of rider that I am or could be than I never you know thought I could.
0: How did you train through the winter?
1: Uh, a little bit of trainer intervals, thanks to Zwift and Netflix. Um, and then a lot of outdoor fat biking, pretty much. Uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis is probably one of the best, best places to ride uh, year-round because the trails are plowed, um, which doesn't mean they're clear. There's still a nice layer of ice and snow, but at least they're pretty well-groomed which allows you to get uh, many hours outside. And there's tons of single track, in room single track um, trails around the around the state, but especially around the, the local Twin Cities area. And so that allows you to get a good amount of hours outside. Um, not many miles because you're just crawling along at a glacial pace, but definitely a good amount of hours outside, um, which is quite fun because it's so different than what the summer months are like given how different you know the trees may look you can ride on frozen lakes and rivers that you can't really do as much in the summer so it's definitely very mentally and physically it's very different which is nice
0: now there are um, because groomed even if the riding tracks I'm I'm thinking of nordic skiing and being out in you know skate tracks or classic track. there are actually groomed bicycle tracks
1: yeah absolutely so one of the things we'll share Often trails um, with a lot of cross-country ski ski riders, so it's always kind of tough trying not to run over their lines with you know big five-inch tires because that'll obviously destroy <laughs> some of the nice groomed parts of of the cross-country ski areas. But yeah, it's it's a really it's a really strong winter community, which lends itself to lots of really great trails that are incredibly well maintained um, throughout the Twin Cities area up to, uh, other areas like Cuyuna and Duluth, uh, more in Northern Minnesota and up on Lake Superior that have a lot of more, um, elevation, um, than the twin cities. And yeah, it's, it's a huge thing. Almost every weekend there's some sort of race. Uh, um, and so it's really fun to see the community come together with that and, you know, enjoy, enjoy bike riding, but in a very different way than as we do through the summer months.
0: Now, when did you decide that you were going to have Trans-Iowa on your race calendar?
1: I think, I think it was probably the second big race I heard of. It came from Southern California, knowing long races. And so I found, I think Arrowhead is one of the long ones, but that's a winter race. And then next evolution was Trans-Iowa, which is the spring, April, um, but a gravel race. And ideally, April, you know, could bring snow, but ideally more mild temperatures. And so I saw something over 300 miles. I was like, great, that fits me. Um, so it's been a, it's been an evolution for several years, but it's been hard to get into the race because it's been somewhat of a lottery. Um, and it's also required me to get a bike that is able to deal with gravel as opposed to a road bike. So it's taken several years of learning how to ride and a little bit of luck in getting accepted to finally make the start in Grenoble.
0: All right. Well, let's get into the race itself. What were your goals going into it?
1: Goals were to finish and survive. I guess survive and finish are almost one and the same in some ways. Um, but that was really, those were my major goals. And, and to see what I could do, I was doing it on fat bike, of course, because if 300 and something miles isn't stupid enough, why not make it stupider? (laughs) So it was going to be done on fat bike, um, because it had to be. Um, and so, yeah, really my goals were to goals were to not sleep at all, not walk any Hills and, um, try to uh, try to ride all the B roads, which are like these minimum maintenance roads, which are ridiculous, um, roads that, aren't maintained at all. It don't have gravel or anything. So you can sort of call them roads, if that. And to finish within the time limit, which is 34 hours for 340 miles. And those were my major goals, and you know, to push myself and, that, and minimize my stop time. So really to do it as fast as I could, um, obviously, was my major intention in finishing.
0: And were you able to achieve those?
1: Yeah, lucky, lucky, lucky I was. Um, things went well. I had learned a lot from Alexander last year in what it takes to ride a fat bike for two days um, on gravel roads and how my body's going to function and how much water I need to be consuming. And so, yeah, the only thing I did walk one of the B roads uphill because it was super steep and like 11 at night. And I had was just set up. Um, and I managed to go down it and then crawl up it. And then and it just was like either you can try to ride the spine of the road or fall off into a ravine. And so I decided to walk it, um, and not fall off into a ravine. But yeah, I finished in just over 31 hours. So that was quite nice. Um, 11 in the morning, having started at four in the morning the previous day. So yeah, fortunately, you know, things just kind of, Kind of worked out a little bit of preparation, decent amount of luck, um, and having learned from you know, the year of riding the fat bike definitely uh, definitely helps. And so, yeah, thirty one hours later, came back for Grinnell.
0: Now, tired. What, what was it like? I mean, you don't have time to study a course map or anything like that because it's not released. Was this set up where? You get the map at the uh, start to checkpoint one, and then you pick up the next section.
1: Yeah, exactly. As Sarah Sarah's mentioned, it's it's like thinking about that. I was very unhappy. I'm a man who loves his garments, who loves his turn by turn navigation because that allows me to focus on other things. I really like having the GPS to free me up to focus on nutrition and and how I'm eating, how I'm drinking, and where to refuel and my pace, but. This was a lot more uh, cerebral of a race. It's like going from checkpoint to checkpoint across America, for, you know, for RAM, but not knowing where the next checkpoint is, and not knowing what's along the way, and not knowing how to get there. So it's very much we had we we started at 4 a.m. Knowing the first checkpoint was 53 miles away, we had four and a half hours to get there. We had cue sheets telling us sort of how to get there. and the only other thing we knew is that there was going to be a gas station after checkpoint one, but before mile 100. And so essentially my goal or my objective with what I had with me was to be able to have enough food and water to last me a hundred hours or seven hours of biking, a hundred miles, excuse me, or seven, or seven hours of biking. Um, and that's, yeah, it's, it's not fun because it, it brings in a whole nother dynamic that I was never used to thanks to downloading routes and putting it on my GPS and being very computer oriented. This was much more navigational and, um, required a lot more attention, which when it gets to the wee hours of the morning or really late at night, it just becomes that much more challenging to, to keep upright, To keep awake and to, keep on course.
0: How how well are these gravel roads marked with signage? They're
1: pretty good for some reason. I don't know why, but I think most of Iowa is probably a gravel road. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no, they're actually surprisingly well marked. And Mark Stevenson, uh, guitar Ted, who runs it, does an excellent job of, of making really nice cue sheets. And then for any road that's not marked, he kind of puts up some stakes. So it's not like you're guessing, um, but though you have to really pay attention. One really has to pay attention to the distance that you've traveled between checkpoints. Uh, so like the mile markers and the road names. Um, and if you kind of hold those two together, you can really navigate the course without any huge issues. Like I think one person, one, some groups of individuals had a problem. There was a 13th Avenue drive. In the 13th Avenue Street or something, some iteration, very, very, very similar. And they were plus or minus half a mile of each other. And people often saw 13th Avenue just turned and went downhill on a B road for like a couple miles and realized it was the wrong road and was full of mud. It's just terrible and then had to trek back up. So it was a lot of being very diligent and very trusting of your mileage and what's written on the sheet.
0: Now it so. also seems scary to me to take off okay, you got one gas station out there where you can get some uh liquid and food and you're taking off with seven hours or what you felt would be seven hours of hydration and and uh caloric intake. You know, what if you don't make it?
1: <laughs> you can't you can't give yourself that option. Right you have to make it. It's just going to, the only thing that's between you and that gas station is miles slash time, right? That's my, that's how I approach these things. So it's like, you have the ability. It's just how long is it going to take you to get there? Is that's that's the only question. So if you prepare yourself to ride that many hours to get there, then we get there. It'll just, you know, if you do what you got to do it within a lot of time to reach that checkpoint. So it's just, you know, focusing on those intermediate goals reaching checkpoint or reaching sunrise reaching checkpoint 1 reaching the gas station getting on towards checkpoint 2 crossing the 100 mile mark um, crossing checkpoint 2 so those are the intermediate goals you know successfully navigating the course for the next 20 miles those things are what you know keeps me going because if you say oh i got 340 miles to go and that's the only thing you focus on that's your only goal and I think it's really hard. It's easy to get overwhelmed and kind of beaten down when you get on your bike at 4 a.m., knowing that it's not going to be six hours. It won't be 12. It's not even going to be 24 for me. It's going to be almost one and a half days of solid bike riding and um, sleep deprivation before I finish. And that can get really overwhelming. So it's kind of just like A, you know, setting those intermediate goals and B, appreciating the fact that you you get to be on your bike doing nothing but bike riding and looking around a part of the country you've never seen before, um, for the next better part of the weekend. And I think that's, that really frees me and allows me to be um, successful in some ways.
0: What was the lowest part of the uh, event for you?
1: Uh, Easy. It was, think, I don't know what time it was. I have no idea where I was at any point. The only reason I know where I was or went was because of my group uploaded on Strap. That's the only thing. I didn't know the names of the towns I went through um, because they weren't marked. Don't know anything. It was just ridiculous. I think, I know the lowest point was probably hours between one thirty and 3 in the morning. I think 3 in the morning because my phone told me I took a photo on the gas station at 3 in the morning. So that's why I'm thinking then. But it was just straight into a headwind. So as Sarah mentioned, the sunrise day one was pretty awesome. The route was a, a counterclockwise loop, and so that allowed us to be pretty much cruising on tailwinds for the first part of the race, but then beating our heads against the wall for the second 160, miles into a headwind overnight into the early morning, which totally sucked. But this part was Going south into a headwind early, early, early in the morning, you know, parts that that really dark hour of the night where it's it's not going to be light for several hours and it's well past sunset. So you're kind of in the deepest part of this valley, Um the really lowest point, I think, physically and mentally for me, at least. And it was straight south into a headwind, um, nothing around these constant rollers which are just terrible because they're, they're too long for me to power over and they're just endless. It's like riding the the teeth of a saw. And I think I got to the next gas station. I saw one of my friends and I was just like, what the F just happened? Like I was on the verge of tears because I was like, why is this happening to me? Why is this course here? Why are there so many hills? Why, who did this? What's going on? Why, why am I doing this Is the worst? And then I got a hug and then it got a little bit better. He's like, you did it. We're on to the next thing. I was like, okay. And it was just, it was so funny. It was so terrible. I hated everything about it. It was like, none of it was fun. It wasn't, I didn't enjoy it. Even if I tried to be positive, I was, you know, I was kind of broken
0: and it was just terrible.
1: It was, <laughs> Yeah,
0: it was bad. Okay. So, then what was the high point of the race for you? I think the
1: high point was, oh shoot. I don't know. The second part of the race was all bad. It was all headwinds and all hills, um, but at least it was warm and not rainy, so we had some good things. I don't know. I think meeting meeting a new group of people, riding a whole new part of the country that I've never experienced before, and how different and how challenging and how you know picturesque Iowa can be. Because this Iowa that we experience is not the Iowa one would think of. It's not flat. Like we climb, we climb twenty thousand feet in 340 miles, which, you know, none of those hills are probably more than 200 feet elevation. So try doing 200 of those hills. There's, that's not math. 100 to 200 of those hills. That's not even correct. 150 to 100, something like that, I can't even think right now. It's a lot, <laughs> right? Math isn't my strong suit at um, right now. That's okay. But it's just endless repeats, and I think that's so challenging and something I'd never experienced before in it. I think that was so cool to experience a really different part of the country um, and meet a lot of great people. And just, just to see how much this event means to, every, to all these individuals and the community of Grinnell and the other towns. Like, The course is new every year. Nobody knows the course except the person who makes it and some of the volunteers. Yet at some point throughout the day, the first day, there's people and kids out there waving you on or holding a sign that says, go cyclists." Which meant that the people ahead of you must have ticked them off, that there's other cyclists are coming through and Trans-Iowa is coming through. So then they get excited. And so it was just so cool to see people um, be so excited in the community about what you're doing. And I think those little things made me really, really happy and really appreciative of what I was able to do
0: and see. Feeling so, when you crossed, yeah, there
1: were some positives.
0: Feeling when you cross the finish line. Relief exhilaration letdown
1: no definitely not letdown. this was all good there's there's never a letdown. And i think obviously one starts ultras and, and cross starts with, across the line or starts a race with goals and ambitions and i think there's so many variables in ultra cycling that it takes so many things to go right to make a perfect race but i think a lot of these things are more of how you deal with the adversity that comes across and how well prepared you are for these potential problems and how you can anticipate them and mitigate them. Um, that produces a really solid result. Um, so for me, you know, I was fortunate, no mechanicals, no huge um, stomach issues, didn't pass out in a ditch, didn't get run over by a tractor, um, no dog or cow got after me or horse. Um, I was stoked. It's like, all right, I survived. My equipment survived. My phone didn't survive. My All my other equipment survived. Um, but no, it was just like, sweet, I did that. Um, that was good. I'm glad. I guess I can go to sleep now. Um, but yeah, I know it was great. It was awesome. I saw my friend at the finish line uh, who had finished the race a little bit earlier than me. And so, no, it's definitely, I think it's a lot of relief, like sweet. Everything just went perfectly. Um, and that was pretty much it. Definitely, definitely excited.
0: What's up next for you?
1: Ooh, good question. I don't know. So there's the Alexander coming up again in like three weeks, I think. Um, that's a little soon. I maybe we'll do that. They have a shorter version. They have the hundred mile and the 160 miles. So maybe one of those, maybe do that more casually. Um, but it's just so fun to spend the weekend on the bike. Otherwise, I think maybe doing one of the Minnesota Randonneurs are going to have a 1,000K out in the middle of summer, like in August. So I might try to do that because I haven't done a long bike ride on my road bike in quite a while. So maybe that. But I think the goal is to get back up to, to winter training and to focus on Arrowhead again. Wasn't able to make it out there this year, but hopefully – Hopefully in 2017 I can take the start line. So that's the big goal.
0: Well, congratulations on your Trans-Iowa finish. Very proud of you, Balvindar singh Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, George. Always great to talk with you and catch up.
0: Look forward to chatting with you more in the future. Balvin Dar-Singh joining us from Minnesota, Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas.